Hi, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We attended the Higher Things Beyond Reasonable Doubt conference at SIU Carbondale, which took place July 18th through the 21st. Higher Things is a recognized service organization that makes the gifts of Christ Jesus known to youth and young adults. Each summer, Higher Things hosts conferences where youth pray and learn together. We had the opportunity to visit with conference attendees and speakers. In this episode, you'll hear one of those conversations at Higher Things Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Thanks for listening to The Coffee Hour. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are at the Higher Things Conference in at SIU Carbondale, and we are going to chat with one of the presenters at one of the breakaway sessions in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Chris Hull. He's pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Tumble, Texas. Pastor Hull, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Also the presenter of Dating Within the Faith at the Higher Things Beyond Reasonable Doubt Conference at SIU Carbondale. So you're the love expert then, apparently. (laughs) I am. I am. Uh, That's why they... Oh, boy. It's whenever I walk in a room, everyone says that. There's the love expert right there. (laughs) Just, I mean, my voice is a little more seductive sounding right now because I'm getting over a cold. But, you know, that is what people say. The love expert. (laughs) The love expert. (laughs) I mean, I do drive a Nissan Envy. So, I mean, (laughs) okay, you know, so dating within the faith. Yes. Let's start with dating. What led you to to present on this topic, dating within the faith? Why was that of interest to you? I mean, last year I I did one called is dating a sin. So it's looking at why do we date? (laughs) Okay. You know, and all these kids show up and I'm talking about what's the purpose of dating somebody. And we had some stories, had some Bible passages and stuff like that. And as I kept going through it, I realized I need to emphasize more the next year, you know, if I am invited to do a breakaway, what should be the foundational conversations when dating? So the point of last year's was dating isn't a sin if you're doing it in the pursuit of desiring someone to marry. You don't just date around a date around. You don't get on like Tinder or something like that. Just find someone to hook up with. Or, or just date someone because of how they look. You date someone because you actually want to spend your life with this person. So then I built on that this year. So what are you building on for that life? What's the foundation for that? And the point I'm making is don't start dating outside of the faith. Date in it. Specifically in the breakaway within the Missouri Senate. And, of course, I I talk to the kids, you know, am I saying people who are Episcopalian or Pentecostal or Baptist, are they, you know, not saved? And I said, of course, that's true. They're not. I'm joking. (laughs) When we all die, we become Missouri Synod. It's just what happens. We get boring. We drink coffee and our hands can't go up anymore. So it's just a fun time. But what I made the point with is when you look at dating someone, you look at the four purposes of marriage. And the first two, you know, is procreation and then companionship. Before the fall into sin, we have those. The third being a curb against sin. We have marriage to curb lust. But then the fourth, do you know what the fourth one is? What's that? It's, it's actually not in the marriage rite anymore. It was in Luther's original marriage rite, but it's not in the LSB one. It's not in there. 
the fourth reason for marriage is bearing the cross. That's why we get married is to bear the cross with that person. We looked at Matthew 10, 22 to start. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So how do we endure? How do we bear it? And you have church, which is great. You have that hour each week, two hours each week. But God giving you a devout husband or wife is bearing that cross on a daily basis. So that was the beginning of it, the gist of it. Where else do we, where do we find guidance for this in Scripture? I mean, obviously we have like Genesis, creation of of men and women. Where else do we have a scriptural basis for what dating even looks like for young kids in 2023? I mean, that's the thing. In the scriptures, you have these wedding rites readings, Mm -hmm. and there's three main ones, Genesis 2, John 2, and Ephesians 5. So we were looking at those, and it's like, well, why is God given the woman to the man is for companionship? It's not good that man should be alone. That's the Genesis. Then the Ephesians 5, what do we do for each other? We submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So God has given man to woman, woman to man, so that we are not alone. And how are we not alone? We submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, forgiving each other. Luther once said in his sermon, marriage is a training ground for spirituality in which you are gifted to forgive each other. Mm-hmm. So you see that. So you don't have like a, a how-to of dating in Scripture. It's more what is the theology of marriage. Understanding that then will help us exegete what is dating for younger people. Like one of the kids asked, they just got engaged. So like, well, how long should I stay engaged? Mm-hmm. And I said, not long. Mm-hmm. I said, figure out the wedding, get married. Don't. You know, I did the, you know, my big fat Greek wedding. I'm like, get married, make babies, you know, <laughs> just do it. Don't, don't have a two-year engagement because you have to plan some weird cake that has to be made or something like that. Just get married and enjoy your life. So, yeah. I appreciate how you started with marriage and then worked back right. from that. It almost sounds like what you were sharing with us almost sounds like kind of the, the first session in premarital counseling. Is yeah. that what you were really working oh, with? Oh, yeah, here? exactly. <laughs> then I matched all the kids up. I'm like, okay, you're with you. You go this way. You're with you. Go this way. I don't like him. You will. Go that way. Now, I think you referenced the, the order of holy matrimony as well earlier. Right. Was there anything else from, from this service that you used in your conversation or in your presentation with well, the students? What we looked at is then we looked at the vows, the for better, for worse, oh. richer, poor, sickness and health. And I said, and this is a statement I made, I said, when you have that person, you're bearing the cross with them, but they're not the cross that you're bearing. Mm -hmm. You don't look at them and go, okay, there's my cross to bear. No, that's not what marriage is. That person is your Simon of Cyrene and is bearing the cross with you. So when you look at marriage, you look at these vows, when you look at what is the most foundational thing in your life? It's not what your favorite food is, the color of your skin, your favorite baseball team, where you're from. You're from Michigan or Arkansas or something like that. What matters is what do you believe, teach, and confess? What is the faith? Because if that's not there between the two of you, it doesn't matter what you have in common. You could have both been in the band and hated the football team that'll fade. Mm -hmm. You could have both, one, been on the football team and a cheerleader and not like the band. 
that will fade. What doesn't fade is the word of the Lord. And that's mm-hmm. the rock that the marriage is built on. Mm-hmm. All of this talking about marriage vows and, I mean, those are those are some pretty big things that we vow to in our marriage, right. in our marriage vows. It's not it's not just this easy stuff that we're going to have for the rest of our lives. I mean, and, and those things will happen right. when you have two sinners in a fallen world that now have to be together for, you know, until death as death we pledge. Right. There's some stuff that happens right. in a marriage, and it makes me think of how how we understand love, what love is, what teenagers may think right. that love is as opposed right. to what as as mature adults we may understand it. How do we approach that topic with teenagers who, you know, you see examples of of love maybe in popular culture and media and mm-hmm. social media? How do we approach that of, from a biblical what love actually is in a marriage? Well, first thing we have to do is stop being so nervous about expressing our love within marriage. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by this is husband and wife showing that love for each other in front of their children. This isn't some private thing that I love your mom, your mom loves me, and, and we, we are friends. We delight in each other. We sacrifice for each other. We fight. We get in arguments. We kiss. We hug. We do all these things. So letting the kids from a young age, as they grow, see that in marriage— you know, see that love and rejoice in it. But then talking to teenage kids, <laughs> you know, one is they're at an age where they can be a mom or a dad. Mm-hmm. They can be these things. And knowing the person you have that relationship with, it can't just be someone that you have a, a, a burning sensation for. Mm. Yes, that's there, but it's someone that you actually want to live sacrificially for. So that, that takes, I, will, I don't know what you would call it, catechesis with them, teaching them that, mm-hmm. showing them, yeah, those feelings you have within marriage are good feelings. It's, it's a good thing to have a burning desire for your spouse to say that's the one person that, that, that gives me delight mm-hmm. and teaching the kids that. So, and... And then praying for them. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah. I mean, think of what, what position they're in as youth today yeah. and what the world tries to catechize them with. The right. world mm-hmm. tries to teach them specifically about the definition of love that we were just talking about and what, right. how the world tries to define that compared to what you're teaching from God's word about what love and right. sacrifice mm-hmm. is right. yeah. and, and, and true commitment. The, the world has such a different definition of that and well, so many definitions one the problem is when you look at like the christian worldview of it every time we talk about it, it seems so boring it seems so dry mm. no this is this is the most passionate love you'll ever experience is this between a, a, a devout husband and a devout wife when they look at the world it's like oh well they they seem happier they seem all this they it's, it's well no that's one thing that does have to change in our marriages today is actually Show that joy. Show that, like, I, I know this sounds creepy. I don't know if this is for the KFU audience. But I literally, I talk to my sons about how attractive I think their mom is. And they go, oh, Dad. I'm like, but no. I'm like, your mom is more beautiful than any woman on the face of this earth. Not just from the moment I met her, but right now. You know? And I talk about it. And it's like, this is, I don't want to talk about any other woman. And... You could say, well, we shouldn't talk about that in front of kids. No, it's like that's where it's directed is toward that 
one person rejoicing in it, delighting in it. I think Harrison even had something on that on uh, his, uh, his little book on joy. Mm. We talked about the joy of marriage, mm-hmm. you know, rejoicing in that. So I think that's one of the only curbs is actually living that joy that is ours in Christ in marriage. Well, and especially if the world is going to present so many images of what the world defines as love, having a great example of what love and sacrifice is, not just in words, but also in actions for, right. for kids, for our kids to see what that love and sacrifice and commitment looks right. like for real. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. In, in the place of a holy Christian marriage. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you look at, I, I think this is one of the, the key things is you should hear from other people in your church, kids, I can tell you really love your wife mm-hmm. or I can tell you really love your husband. That's a good thing. And mm-hmm. then you, you build on that. And why do I love my wife? Yes, my wife is beautiful. I love her cooking. I love her smile. I love her laugh. But you know what I love about my wife the most is, is the faith that she mm. believes, teaches, and confesses. She prays it. She sings it. That is the most beautiful thing about her is what she believes and what she practices. So, We are talking with Pastor Chris Hall of Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. He is one of the presenters at the Higher Things Conference at SIU Carbondale. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are at the Higher Things Conference at SIU Carbondale. Our guest today, the Reverend Chris Hull of Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, is one of the presenters presenting on the topic, Dating Within the Faith. We have been talking a little bit about what is marriage and what is faith. I mean, why is faith important in, in marriage? Now let's go back to dating, yeah. which you mentioned is really what leads up to marriage, mm. the purpose of dating. You right. shared a little bit ago that dating is for the purpose of preparing for marriage. Right. right? What other insights did you share with the youth in this presentation when talking about dating? Well, one of the things I looked at, I talked to them about with dating is the world in which we live. Is we, And I made this point, and maybe it's unpopular. I said, we're not really a persecuted church yet. I mean, we're at a public university right now. Literally, we're in a room filled with people talking about Jesus, worshiping in their auditorium. No one's come to arrest me. No one's come to arrest y'all. No one's come to do anything. So dating, what does it look like? As we look toward a world in which we may be persecuted, rejoicing in this time right now, free in the gospel, free in Christ, to actually start dating each other. So what does a first date look like? Well, it's not 
mom and dad taking me to the movies and sitting behind us making sure we don't do anything. I said, honestly, one of the best places to actually start dating people is go to your youth group, go to your church. Or I said, you're at higher things, start talking to people here. Start talking, seeing what you have in common. And dating doesn't have to be going out and doing something. It could simply be studying the scriptures together, building on that and going from there. I mean, it's not that you're trying to match people up every time you have Wednesday night youth group. But at the same time, it's like, well, why not? What's, <laughs> I mean, why not consider those people and go from there? Yeah. How is dating, and I'm, try, I'm trying to word this right so it doesn't come off sounding really weird, but uh, how, is, how are those opportunities that young people have when they're dating a way to understand what you're looking for in a spouse? Does that make sense? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, how you're, it's not like practicing for marriage, but, but practicing the skills that you'll need to be successful in that relationship. Right. Well, and that's why I started with like devotional work. When my wife and I started dating, we started dating in college. We met at Concordia River Forest, went out two weeks later, went and saw one-hour photo starring Robin Williams, which is a really freaky, weird movie. And then we went and had some Italian food. But then we went back to campus, and we studied First Peter together. Because when I met my wife, she was really liberal, like wanted to be a pastor and everything, was the lead singer in her praise band. I mean, she was like the, the, the thing. And then I'm on, not the thing like from Marvel. I'm not talking about that, but you know. And then I'm on the opposite side, Mr. Folding My Hands Properly with the right thumb over the left thumb and the incense and all that fun stuff. So we, our first few dates were these yelling matches at each other theologically. And then we'd pray together. And that's what created the relationship, the strength in it, was what every marriage is built on is that devotional life. Why wait till you get married or wait till, and some marriages don't even start till later in life. Like once the kids are gone, then they do these things. Start right away. I mean, it's, it actually leads to very in-depth conversation and intimacy there. Yeah, like I told the girls, if, if you want to study the Bible with a boy and he says, oh, I want to do Song of Solomon, throw the Bible at him and walk away because he's a creep. <laughs> but I said, pick up a Bible chapter and just read it, you know? Start reading the scriptures together and meditate on it. So how, how do you date, you know, forming that marriage, looking at that person? is what's the most important part of marriage is devotion and prayer and meditation together. Remember, Luther said those, the three things that make a theologian are ratio, meditatio, tentatio. That's what dating is. You pray together, you meditate on God's word together, and you suffer together. And that's what makes a good relationship. Dating then turns into a good engagement, turns into a fruitful marriage. I don't know if that answers it. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the questions that youth presented to you in your session. I mean, that's the neat part about higher things here. All these kids are taking a week out of their summer to come, sing hymns, do the liturgy, study theology. I mean, yeah, there's games at night, but that's not the majority. I mean, there were some good questions. One was, what if I start dating someone that I agree with theologically that's faithful, but my parents don't like him and are not faithful? Like they're not as theologically sound. How do I do that and still keep the fourth commandment? And I was like, that's a great question. I said, you know, one, you respectfully talk to your parents about it. 
why don't they agree theologically with you and your boyfriend or girlfriend? And how can you come to that agreement? But I made the point, if that relationship continues and builds, eventually one day, mom and dad are not the primary relationship anymore. You leave father and mother and hold fast to your wife. So I said, it's walking in that fourth commandment, but in the knowledge that that relationship is not the primary one. That has now become a secondary relationship the day you get married. So that was one question. Another one was, does God have a spouse meant for everybody? And I Mm -hmm. said, I said, and I went to Genesis, you know, it's not good that man be alone. I said, that's the thing is you like, look at Luther. When did Luther get married? How old was he? He was was 42, right? I mean, 42 years old. And how did his wife come to him in a a herring barrel? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, he didn't meet her at a higher things conference or the orientation we get at Concordia. You know, that's, that's not how it happened. You may go your whole life and be single. You may get married. And it was, it was just a great one. Another one was, what if I get married one day to a faithful person and they divorce me? Should I get married to another faithful person? And, you know, walk through what is marital unfaithfulness and all this and said, you know, if God gives you another woman, thanks be to God. So some good questions. A lot of great kids here. I mean, that's the thing. I had almost 300 kids in there talking wow. about this. Yeah, so it was just a great time. That's it awesome. It was a great time. What about red flags for teens as they're approaching dating, yeah. considering who they want to potentially build a life with? What are some red flags for, yeah. for kids to watch out for? I made a po- an example. I said, like, you, you're in band and you play the flute and the guy you like plays the French horn. I don't know if French horns are in the marching band. I don't know if they are. I mean, I was, I was in the band. I was the right guard for football. And all you do is protect the pretty boy quarterback. I'm not angry about it still. But, <laughs> but let's say it's you two and you, you're both in band. You have all these things in common. But you're Missouri Synod Lutheran and he's an agnostic. You know, and you date and do this, but have that conversation. And if he says, no, I, I never want to believe this, don't continue holding on going, oh, maybe one day he will. Maybe one day he will. Don't hold on to that. Just move on. So the red flag is one, if they're just outright, no, I'm not going to believe this. Two is, is where they go to church. Ask. I mean, this is a Southern thing. Mm. One of the first things you do in the South is where do you go to church? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, talk to the person. Where do you go to church? What do you believe? Do you know? Do you have a favorite hymn? Do you have a favorite Bible passage? I mean, and if they have no interest in that and say, I have no idea what you're talking about, just, and I said this mainly to the girls, I'm like, girls, don't waste your time with a dumb boy. Just don't do it. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> Move on. There's better men out there. So, and, and rejoice in that. So that was the other red flag was just outright unbelief or apathy, ignorance of the word going from there. Cause I said, in the Missouri Senate, there's tons of fish in this Missouri Senate. You know why? I said, don't worry too much about it. <laughs> There'll be someone there. Being a presenter at a Higher Things conference, you've been involved with Higher Things for some time now. Yeah. What are some of the things that have come out of your involvement with Higher Things or that you've seen from Higher Things conferences and other Higher Things events that, that you see ha- have been really beneficial for, for you, for the youth that you love and yeah. care for? Well, for me personally, it is just, it's given me joy. You see our church body, and it's always like we're declining in membership. 
we don't have enough pastors. Then you come to something like this, and it's like, we're fine. It's going to be okay. Doesn't mean you have to be lazy about it, but it gives you a joy and a confidence of, yes, it's going to be okay. When, when Paul Sulek, 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 I don't know how you pronounce his last name. When he's playing the organ, he stops playing, and all the kids keep belting out, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. You know, it's just a joy. So it gives pastors and, and the older generation something to look at and go, it's going to be okay. And then for the kids, I mean, they come out of this going to the breakaways, hearing the sermons, singing the hymns, like they sing the hymns on the car ride home. They sing the hymns <laughs> at church. I mean, you know my, the cantor for Zion, Linnea. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's what, what you get at Higher Things is what Zion does every Sunday. So it's just, and some churches weren't that way, but became that way with youth influencing it, coming back from these things going, can we do this more? Can we do this more? So it's a great organization that's just doing phenomenal stuff. Yeah, how does Higher Things pre- prepare youth for and, and, and foster more at home, you know, strengthen them in what they do in their home congregation Yeah, rather than trying to usurp? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the main thing is go talk to your pastor, talk to your DC, talk to your, you know, deaconess, talk to your cantor, have that relationship with them. And then I think what's good with Higher Things is the material they put out. All the stuff, YouTube, TikTok, I know, you know, conspiracies and all that, but I'm on TikTok. I don't think it's a conspiracy. But you look at all these things they offer, it's a supplement. And I think it's the nice part of higher thing is always saying we're, we're supplementing. We're not trying to replace. You know, it's like taking a multivitamin or anything. You're, this isn't the meal itself. So I think that's one good part about higher things is they, they always have that narrative. We're not here to replace. We're here to help. So, which is always good. Our guest today, Pastor Chris Hall of Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, one of the presenters at the Higher Things Conference at SIU Carbondale. Thanks so much for being our guest. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun times. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.